Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Uh, we are going to be walking through verses 11 all the way through chapter 10, verse 7 tonight. So we've got a few, um, just a couple chapters, a few messages after this one, and then we'll be wrapping up this book. We are in wisdom literature, uh, and Solomon, as our author, he's given us a whole bunch of wisdom as he looks back over his life, sees all the good, the bad, ugly, everything he saw in his life as a rich, um, wealthy king, and uh, he got to experience everything under the sun, and he's telling us all about it. Most of us go to our grave wishing there was more we could have experienced on earth. Solomon is prior to going to the grave saying, I did experience it all, and I'm going to tell you that it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. Um, You've got to have a relationship with God. That's what it's all about. And the theme tonight is winning, winning at wisdom. Now, how many of you all like uh, some competition, good, healthy competition? Anyone super competitive? A few of you? right? Um, I think we all like winning. We live in a culture that loves winning, don't we? Right? If you grow up in a Western culture, especially in America, you know uh, we love to win. Many of us are motivated in life solely by success. We want upgrade. We want the American dream. We want uh, things to get better. We want to climb the ladder at work. We want... um, We want to win. And if you grow up with kiddos, then you know that um, if they regardless of age, don't have at least one or two extracurricular activities going on after school, then, then that's weird. And we don't care what sport. Just pick a team, pick a side, do anything, win. If you're not good at athletics, then get into Scholars Bowl, do something, but win. That's what Americans want, right? And we teach our kids growing up uh, that if you work hard, then life will work out. And so people think, okay, we can win at athletics, we can win in different competitive things, but in general, I think we can still win at life, right? And so, so many of us, we, we believe that if we do the right stuff, it's all going to work out pretty good. And we'll read a whole bunch of proof texts in the Bible, especially with what God wrote to uh, the Israelites and several different covenants in the Old Testament, and be like, yeah, it looks like if they do all that God says, then it's going to work out for them. And we just apply that to our own lives and assume, man, if anything goes astray, either I messed up or God messed up, we're going to blame him and be sad for ourselves. If this whole thing doesn't work out the way we think, if I don't get the job, if I don't get the marriage, if I don't get the car, the house, the spouse, if it's not exactly like I planned, something broke somewhere. Something broke. And we love the stories where the long shot wins the race, uh, where the the peasant girl grows up after working humbly and hard. uh, She grows up to be the princess. We love all of those types of stories. And then as we get older, we realize that real life doesn't work that way. Sometimes um, sometimes the poor and oppressed stay poor and oppressed. Sometimes smart people work for dumb people. Sometimes the honest are ripped off by the evil. Sometimes those who are humble and diligent in life uh, are simply a target for being used and abused. And we realize eh, that's, that's reality too. And we have a hard time justifying what our parents taught us about life and what we're actually experiencing in life. And so what happens when we don't win, when life doesn't go the way we planned? Um, You can either be in a depressive state and in despair for the rest of your life, or you can maybe look to 
the Bible and say, maybe God wants to redefine what success and winning looks like. And so ultimately, it's not, um, are you winning in life or are you losing? It's what are you gaining? Because you can be a winner and still lose, and you can be a loser and still win. And the big question is, what are you gaining? And Solomon's going to talk to us tonight about making sure that no matter what life throws at you, you're gaining wisdom that's of God, that ends with you devoting your life to him and his will and following Jesus. I think, um, I think Solomon's big idea tonight is that winning isn't the goal, wisdom is. And so that's why we want to win at wisdom. I think uh, for a lot of us, it's like this. A few months ago, uh, Silas and Tara and I, we went to visit some family in Kansas City. And in Overland Park, there's like this urban, um, it's like, I don't know, like an urban farm. There's a little petting zoo. There's a little pond. You can dig for gold and do all kinds of weird stuff in this um, in this park. And we paid a couple dollars, got our cup of worms and a cane pole, and we took Silas fishing for the first time. And I was excited um, because he was excited. And so we went with our cane pole, and we went to this little pond, and there's a bunch of kids all over the place. And you can see the fish swimming around. They're like this big. And it's not a very big pond. And we just dip the pole in over and, and of course it's got a worm on it and dip it into the water you don't even have to cast again it's a cane pole so you can't if you wanted to and even though my niece tried one time and my finger paid the price but anyway we caught a little fish and I was like this is awesome and then we took it off the hook threw it back in and we put it back in we caught another little fish who just happened to look identical to the one that we just caught after 30 minutes we caught a whole bunch of fish And I'm pretty sure out of the 20 or 30 that we caught, we actually only caught three. We just caught them 10 times a piece. And I remember thinking, this is crazy. I mean, picture being the fish. You're here in this little pond, and you see the worm. You're like, Joe, don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. And then Joe's like, I'm so hungry. And he's like, there's other ways. Surely there's other ways. There's got to be other food. Well, there's the worm, and it's floating again. And I don't know how it got here. This must be manna from heaven. And and then they jump up. They get on the hook. And and as they're pulled out of water, they've got to be thinking, wow, I won the worm, but I lost at life. (laughs) Because I'm just on a hook in this tiny little pond. And I think that's what a lot of us are going through. If we're honest, that's what some of us are going through right now, we, we say, you know what, um, maybe it'll be a house this time. Yeah, let's get excited about buying a house. And then you get the house, you're like, yeah, it's not that fulfilling. And then you say, well, maybe I'll just get the spouse. And you get the spouse, and you're like, this is going to be really good. And, and then you're like, yeah, that's kind of broken too. And then you go through all of the things life has to offer, and you say, wow, I'm winning <laughs> at the American dream, but I'm losing at life. I'm not gaining what I hoped. I'm not fulfilled in this. And I think what Solomon's ultimately going to teach us tonight is maybe you need to bail on the whole winning and losing thing and say, how can I gain the wisdom it takes to follow Jesus with all of my life? So here's going to be four things uh, that Solomon's going to give us tonight um, that are going to show us how to change, how to shift from winning in the world to walking in wisdom. That's a whole bunch of W's, but it'll be good. Let's jump in. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11 and 12, action-packed verses. Verse 11 says, I have observed something else under the sun. So again, this is all of what we have under the sun, but we need to look above the sun. 
The fastest runner doesn't always win the race, and the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle, and the wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy, and those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. Verse 12, and people can never predict when hard times might come. Like fish in a net or birds in a trap, people are caught by sudden tragedy. First thing we see, if you're going to shift from winning in the world to walking in wisdom, you've got to change your equation. You've got to change your equation. What do I mean by that? Here's how people in general want life to work. We want it to work like a math equation, which is 2 plus 2 always equals 4. Right? And Solomon's saying, I know your mom and dad might have taught you that if you work hard and do the right things, things will work out the way you hoped, right? This is America. And then you grow up and you realize, like I said earlier, it doesn't always work out that way. And so he's telling us in verse 11, I've observed sometimes the fastest runner, sometimes they snap their ankle right before the finish line. Sometimes they don't always win the race. And and, and it doesn't make sense, but sometimes the strongest warrior, you guys might know a story in the Old Testament, a man named Goliath doesn't always win the battle. There's wise people, and they go hungry. Introduce yourself to the prophets of the Old Testament. And, and the skillful are not always wealthy. You know people who you say, you should start a business. You are good at that. Well, they might be horrible entrepreneurs, even though they're incredibly skilled in that one area. So the business fails, and they're anything but wealthy. But they're skillful. There's doctors who are doing what they do really well for free all over the world to bless and minister to people. You can be skillful, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be wealthy. Those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. Look at a whole bunch of professors (laughs) in a whole bunch of colleges professing things they probably shouldn't be professing. It's all decided by chance. You see, that math equation... And that 2 plus 2 always equals 4. It's funny how in the things that you and I want in life, we love that equation, right? That if we have the desire and we put in the effort, that the desired outcome will always come. So you say, well, I, um, I desire to get a good career, and so I'm going to work hard, so I should get a good job. But it always, doesn't always happen, right? I, um, I have the desire to be healthy. I'm going to put in the work to be healthy, so therefore I should have health. Well, some people get cancer even if they go to the gym every day of the week. Well, if I am disciplined and I put in the hard work, I'll get good grades. Well, sometimes. Sometimes you don't. But when society and our culture pushes on this equation in ways that we don't want, we don't like it so much. So it's very self-serving. This equation uh, for our society says, well, if you are um, fairly smart and you're 20, you should be in college. Well, what if you're not supposed to go to college? <laughs> you don't fit into what this world says you should be doing. Well, if you're, if you're 25 and you're fairly normal, you should be married. So what if I'm 26 and single? Is that okay? Well, you're 30 and you're married, so you should have babies. Well, what if we're having fertility issues? Does that work into the world's plan for us? And so the equation that the world gives us now is horrible. 
We don't want it. We don't like it. What equation are you frustrated with? You say, God, I thought if I did this, then you would do this, and this would be how this would work out. I think we all got them. Verse 12 takes it a step further. He says that people can't predict when hard times come, like fish in a net. You could picture fish just doing their thing, swimming, everything's wonderful, and then boom, they realize can't go north, can't go south, can't go east, can't go west. My life's over. This is horrible. The sheer panic. A bird in a trap. You're completely free. Everything seems like it's a possibility. Life is wonderful, and then it's over. Some of us dread that phone call, don't we? And sometimes we lay awake at night thinking, if you live long enough, you're going to have to get some of those phone calls. Someone's sobbing on the other end. They were in a car wreck. Mom died. Dad died. How many moms have kissed their babies goodnight and they're six months old and sudden infant death syndrome? And you say, it just doesn't even make sense. doesn't even make sense. The truth is, uh, you can take your daily planner out, more than likely it's your iPhone, and, and you can say, here's what I'm doing today and tomorrow and the rest of the week and next week, and it's all an illusion. It's all an illusion. The Bible tells us we should plan, but at the same time, it mocks us that we plan. <laughs> because here's what the Bible does, and this is this is sometimes hard to process. It gives us two pieces to this puzzle. Um, One is that it says you can influence your life, but you can't control your life. So on one hand, I'm going to get up here as a preacher and say, go make disciples, go change the world. God gives us this opportunity through his spirit and his word. We can do this. Things can be awesome. Let's go influence people for Christ. And then on the flip side, we say, I don't know why my dad's not saved. I don't know why my coworker won't get saved. I don't know why this has happened. I don't know. Because you can't control life. And so God's saying, I want you to be a part of this, but you're not God. You're not sitting on the sidelines as a Christian, but you're not, you're not Jesus either. And, and some of us need to understand part of what Solomon is saying is that you need to quit trying to control every part of your life. And get your life under control, because ultimately, even when you don't feel like it's under control, it's in his control, which means it's never really out of control. If we're going to sum this up, I think, um, I think what Solomon's saying in verses 11 and 12, and there's a lot there that, that we have unpacked and we could continue to, he, he's saying, you can't always choose to win. Sometimes life just says you lose and it comes unexpectedly and it comes quick and you couldn't say anything about it. It just happens. But here's the beauty. And this is ultimately what Ecclesiastes, just like Proverbs and Song of Songs and all other wisdom literature in Scripture leads us to is that you can't always choose whether you win or lose in life, but you can choose one of these two paths, wisdom or folly. So you can't choose what's always going to happen to you, but you can choose how you response, how you're going to respond to it. And, and, and God says you need to choose wisely. You can gain wisdom even when you lose. You can gain wisdom when you win 
but losing or winning don't guarantee you'll ever gain wisdom. There's a whole bunch of losers that are fools and a whole bunch of winners that are fools. And so the wisdom literature in Scripture says, choose wisdom so that you can devote yourself wholly to the glory of God for every day that you live in life. Let me give you just a little bit of hope before we move on here um, because some of our equations um, have been heartbreaking. We look at the place we are in life and we say, it's not working out the way I thought, right? Um, let me let me just leave you with just a smidgen of hope. The other day, Silas and I were playing soccer in his little playroom. It's like 10 by 10 room and we were, we were kicking the ball and we were kicking as hard as we could to try to get it past the other person. It's, it's soccer. You guys have played it. But anyway, um, so I I stepped down, I had bare feet, I stepped down, I felt a little like pin in the ground, I thought, what in the world, I reached down through the carpet, found like a little tiny seashell, you know, it's a three-year-old's playroom, all kinds of weird stuff, I said, dude, look at this little seashell, this is cool, it was just a tiny little seashell, he's like, awesome, I got a seashell, so he took it, he went over to a spot, and he had it in his hand, and he was so excited, and he was doing this number, and I said, okay, man, I'm, uh, I'm gonna kick it again, you want me to kick it hard, he said, yeah, so I kicked this thing hard, and it hit him right in the gut, I kicked the soccer ball, it hit him in the gut, you ever get the air knocked out of you for a split second, and you're like, ugh, and like, you just lose control of all of your movement, and like, he's just like, oh did this number and opened his hand and the seashell he had it for like five seconds it fell out of his hand and it it went down into the floor vent and you heard the ting 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 and it it went down there and he knowing in his mind using the equation we just talked about said "I, i want my seashell but i dropped my seashell and i dropped it in a vent and i can't go into vents so it's gone forever and he falls to his knees and he just starts bawling and i'm like oh man normally he doesn't cry over stuff like that but he knew it was over you're not getting it back seashell was here now it's gone it's over and then i was like dude it's okay so i walked over to him i was kind of feeling bad because i nailed him with the soccer ball but kind of feeling bad because he's crying over the seashell and i i pick him up like it's okay and he just pushes me away and he goes into a room like 20 steps he goes across the hallway to my room he just couldn't even handle himself he dropped down on his knees again just fell apart and i was kind of chuckling to myself as a dad um i know that sounds bad but i was thinking he's gonna be okay (laughs) quit freaking out i know in your little mind seashell's gone I know you got so attached to it. You didn't even know it was there three minutes ago. Now everything's over in life. So I said, dude, he calmed down. I said, let me, let me go try to find the seashell. And so I went in there and I popped up the vent and I reached down through 15, 20 years of muck and nastiness thinking, no wonder we have allergy issues and we don't ever leave the house. Anyway, I, I reached down in there and he's sitting next to me and he's just sniffling and I pull out like this old... Uh, shoe. It's like a little girl's shoe. It's like this big. I'm like, that's weird. And I put that there. And I pull out uh, another um, thing. It's like a promise ring from like 1984. I'm like, mm, some little girl cried over this, but here you go, buddy. You got a promise ring. And, and then I reached down again. I found another little girl's shoe, which only means one thing. We have little girls living in our ventilation system. We'll probably have to look into that at some point. And I I kept finding stuff. I'm like, dude, here's your eraser that you lost. And here's all this other stuff. And he's just, mind is blown. And eventually I get that shell. I say, here's your shell, man. And he goes running off to show mom all this amazing stuff we found. Here, why do I tell you that? Here's the bottom line. Sometimes our equation doesn't work out in life. We do what we're supposed to. We thought we were doing everything in line, and life fell apart. But God can redeem things, and, and even though this world is broken, he can bring more blessings and beauty to a situation than you ever dreamed of. And if you look to him, he can use all things for his glory. And so what we got to do tonight is make sure we change our equation. 
And two plus two doesn't always equal four in God's economy, but two plus two always equals, no matter what brokenness it looks like, the opportunity for redemption if we turn to Jesus. That's like a whole sermon in a sermon. All right, verses 13 through 18. Here's another bit of wisdom that has impressed me as I have watched the way our world works. There was a small town, so here's, here's, scholars don't know if this is a parable, if this was a real thing that he actually saw as a ruler. Um, either way, same idea. There's a town with only a few people, and a great king came, and his army, came with his army and besieged it. And a poor, wise man knew how to save the town, and so it was rescued. But afterward, no one thought to thank him. So even though wisdom is better than strength, those who are wise will be despised if they are poor. And what they say will not be appreciated for long. Verse 17. Better to hear the quiet words of a wise person than the shouts of a foolish king. And better to have wisdom than weapons of war. But one sinner can destroy much that is good. Now, real quick on verses 17 and 18. Anytime that you're reading your Bible and you see that um, the, the scripture kind of breaks away from the paragraph it's in and it looks like it's, it's in parentheses, if it's a New Testament, it's usually either quoting the Old Testament or it is a early church um, song or hymn that they might have been, um, that they're trying to show you. This was something that we talked about. In the Old Testament, sometimes it's a proverb um, like this. this, these two verses are separated from the previous paragraph as just ways to affirm what the previous verses are saying. So with that being said, number two, you've got to change your treasure. So if you want to shift from winning in the world to walking in wisdom, you've got to change your equation, but you've also got to change your treasure. Instead of uh, treasuring um, the acclaim and the affirmation and the applause of this world, you've got to treasure humble, simple obedience to Jesus. You've got to treasure simple obedience to the God of the universe. So, two sides to this parable. Let's, let's dive into both of them. The first one is kind of the foolish townspeople, right? So there's a town that is about to get beat up by this king and his army. And it doesn't look like they got much of a hope from what it sounds like. And you can imagine they were running around trying to figure out, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Nothing's working. And then there's this poor guy probably sitting over here in the corner who has the wisdom to figure this out. But I don't know if anyone asked for his opinion. Who knows? At some point, though, they listen and they say, all right, do your thing. He does his thing. The town's saved. But then after that, the townspeople just let him go back. Go back to your old life. Do your own thing. And they ignore him. They ignore him. So here's what Solomon's saying uh, when it comes to the foolish townspeople. Fools, they don't always listen. They don't always learn. And even if they do listen and learn, they're not thankful and appreciative of wisdom. You see, fools might use the product, but they won't respect it if it's in a bad package. They say, this old boy's got wisdom. You can save the city, but you're still a nobody because you're poor. And people don't want to listen if they don't respect what someone looks like, acts like, believes, the color of their skin their gender. There's a million things that this world has bias against. Some of us won't listen to people who don't 
look like people that we feel like we should listen to. If we were honest, how many of us, if we stopped with the guy down on the interstate who's got the uh, impeach Obama sign that changed over to the something, something, something Obama um, right over there on, on 135 in Magnolia, how many of us are stopping to listen to wisdom from him? It just doesn't look like someone we would listen to wisdom from, right? Like, let's be honest. Let's just be honest. And Solomon's saying that's what fools do. Fools don't stop and listen, um, and, and they don't embrace wisdom. They don't appreciate wisdom. If it doesn't come in the package, they think it should come in. This is kind of a big deal in the Bible uh, because there's a, there's a man named Jesus who didn't come in a very nice package. He was a lowly carpenter's son. He, he was fairly close to just being a peasant. He lived a humble life. He looked like a nobody. And God challenged the whole world. and thought, Are they even going to recognize the God of the universe if he doesn't come in the package they expect it to come in? And he said he did this to shame the arrogant, the proud, the haughty, the wise. Some listened. A whole bunch did not. Do you value the opinions of people who don't look like you, act like you, believe like you? God can teach you through anyone. You've got to humble yourself. And if you only listen through people who you think you should be listening to, um, then there's probably a lack of teachability and humility that needs to be addressed in your life. See, I think what a lot of us do is we, we treat God like the poor guy. So we wait until our world is falling apart, army's coming against it, life is over. What do we do? I've, I've asked all my friends, I've asked all my buddies, I've thought about this a million times, I've gone through circles over and over in my mind. What do I do? What do I do? And then God is the poor guy in the corner. He's the last resort. We know he's got the wisdom to help, but eh, I'm probably not going to like the way he says it or the way he says it. And so we ignore him. And then if we ever do listen to what God says and say, oh, I know what the right thing to do is, I don't want to do it, but I'll do it real quick. And then we get out of the situation and we go back to neglecting him. Because everything God says goes against the grain of what this culture says and what we want. In most cases, the solution we want to different problems isn't the solution God's saying. You say, well, my marriage is tore up. And we want the person on the other end to just be fixed. <laughs> and we look across the table and say, God, fix them. And God's saying, why don't you humble yourself and serve them? that's not my solution. <laughs> it's kind of thinking you could change them and that would change things for me. Some of us, uh, and I'll just challenge you in this, um, have been calling out to God for uh, a fresh word for an old situation and God's saying, you need to go back to what I told you six months ago about it. It hasn't changed. It just wasn't the cool answer there and it's not the cool answer now. It's the hard one. It's the real one. It's my answer. <coughs> that your pattern? Ignore him, neglect him. There's the second side to this. There's the poor man. Now, here's one thing that I think we need to learn. If you are the poor man, if you say, okay, maybe I'm the guy sitting in the corner that I've been neglected. I don't look like I should have a bunch of wisdom, but I do have some things God has given me. I can help a particular situation, even though I might not get the stage for it. Well, this is where you got to change your treasure. This is where you've got to change your treasure. If you care, here's what Solomon's saying about the poor man. If you care more, if you treasure more 
the applause of humanity than the applause of the Father, you will be disappointed. Because you can't treasure both. You'll be let down always by humanity. But you can't choose both. You see, isn't it interesting? That um, this old boy, he's got to be in a position, and I think sometimes God puts us in these positions, where we're, we're just in a lowly place, and he wants us to make an impact, make a change, but we have to. Like, we know no one's going to appreciate us. No one's going to care. I remember when God called us to go out to Utah to plant a church, and I'm thinking, this is not cool. I stood in front of a thousand students at, my, at the seminary I was in, and they let me get up in front of them and tell them, hey, we're going out to Utah. Who wants to come with us? And I remember, man, they applauded like crazy. And two people came up to tell me afterwards um, something about what I said. One was, hey, I'm going overseas, but I was just inspired by what you said. And the other one was my buddy saying, dude, you got to speak in front of all of us. That's so cool. Like no one wanted to go with us to Utah. It just wasn't cool. You got to be okay with that. But this guy does this great deed, and his title doesn't change, his status doesn't change, his lifestyle doesn't change. Let me ask you, if God wants to use you in powerful ways, are you okay with being at the bottom of your company totem pole, being able to impact by faithfully serving and loving and working hard, but maybe you don't ever get a raise, maybe your title doesn't change, maybe you don't work your way up, are you okay with that? Welcome to the tension between the American dream and the kingdom of God. Because most Christians struggle with these types of questions all the time. And God's saying, you're not struggling with my kingdom. You're struggling with how much you desire the kingdom of the world. Because you, here's the truth. You can live out the kingdom of God anywhere, anytime. No excuses. You don't need to move to the next city, change jobs, get a different boss, change spouses before you can get your act together. You can submit to Jesus and he can do whatever he wants through you right now. That's the beauty of the gospel. If, um, if you're in a marriage that's not very good and you know you can bless, you can love, you can humble yourself and serve the other person knowing they are flawed as all flawed can be and, and they're not going to ever love you and they're going to hate God and they're not going to appreciate you and they don't even see half of the stuff you do as you slave away at home and work hard, are you content with staying in that? Knowing you can do everything God asks you to do but you're never going to get a pat on the back. You're never going to get a pat on the back. This will test you. This will test how much you care about the kingdom of God. You've got to change your treasure. You can't treasure humanity's applause and God's affirmation. You've got to choose God's affirmation. All right, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 10. Now here's four different ways of saying very similar things. He says in verse 1, As dead flies cause even a bottle of perfume to stink, so a little foolishness spoils great wisdom and honor. And a wise person chooses the right road, a fool takes the wrong one. You can identify fools just by the way they walk down the street. If your boss is angry at you, don't quit. Some of you just got revelation, didn't you? That just... A quiet spirit can overcome even great mistakes. Third thing we see, if you want to shift from winning in the world to walking in wisdom, you might need to change your course. Again, 
Solomon says, there, there's a wise way and a foolish way, and you've got to choose which one you're going down. If you find yourself in the midst of this sermon saying, maybe I'm doing some foolish things in life, here's four ways to help you know. You need to change your course, and you can do it. So verse 1, let's just walk through each one of these. Verse 1 says, As dead flies cause even a bottle of perfume to stink, so a little foolishness spoils great wisdom and honor. In other words, what, what Solomon's saying is you can build up and live a life of integrity and have a good reputation, but even just a little bit of foolish behavior, you can lose credibility for everything. And just like a perfume, like it smells beautiful and it smells wonderful and like you, you, it's going to smell that way. It's going to overwhelm all the other smells in here. But you put a few dead flies on that thing, how many people want that perfume? I said, just get rid, of the, get rid of all of it. It stinks. Jesus, of course, in the New Testament says a little bit of yeast works its way through the whole. This is why you've got to give yourself fully to God and you can't have part of your life and say, I'm keeping 10% over here because I don't want God to mess with it. I don't want him to, to do this. I'll, I'll serve church. I'll do everything. But I'm going to be in a relationship that doesn't honor God. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know what, I'm going to serve, I'm going to come to church, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to do all these other things. But mm, when I'm at work, I'm just kind of a glutton, and I don't really think much about it because there's food in the office, and everyone does it. And it's not that big of a deal, right? Or maybe I'm going to gossip just a little bit. And you don't, after years, after years, after years, ever address these little areas. And God's saying, it discredits everything. Wise people protect themselves. They live lives of integrity. You've got to be all in got to be all in. Um, some of you, maybe you, especially in college, you, anyone live in like a really dirty apartment? Just like a nasty place. You got that roommate that you're just like, gosh, everything about them was, was mostly okay. I mean, we were friends going into it, but they were just dirty people. They were dirty. When Tara and I got married, no, Tara was not the bad roommate. That's not where the story's going. We got married <laughs> nine years ago. We moved from Hutchinson to Salina and we lived, um, over there just east of First Southern in kind of that new neighborhood. And we were in a, a townhome. It was six years old. It was a beautiful house. We thought we were going to be there for a long time. She was a nurse. I was working at a, another company. We were making decent money. Like, this is a nice little house. We were excited to be there. Everything was brand new in it. Well, after two years, long story short, God calls us to Virginia. So we got to try to sell, rent, get rid of this thing however we can. We can't sell it. But the night before we leave to move to Virginia, we got three... Um, Kansas Wesleyan football players stop by and say, we'll rent this out. Okay, let's do that. Now, again, not an ideal situation. College football players from out of state come in and saying, we'll rent out your nice house. But we needed money. We needed the money. And so we had to do something because you can't pay rent in two places when you're going from two jobs to one. First few months seemed to go pretty well. They paid. We were 22 hours away. Everything was good. Bills got paid. Around Christmas time, I decided to come home for a little sneak peek at the house, right? We're going to see family. And so I just stopped by unannounced and said, hey, guys, just wanted to check. I'm probably not okay for landlords to do, but I did it. And, and I, I, I wanted to just do a quick walkthrough. I, okay, man, the toilet and stuff upstairs, it was nasty. You could tell they haven't cleaned anything. The upstairs, it was sick because, you know, this was, like, this was your place. Now you're seeing it just tore up. The garage was like a whole nother world. I was like, what are you guys doing in here? But it wasn't until I went downstairs, an area that we never even used because it's just my wife and I. And I tell you what, 
it looked like a refugee camp down there. They had set up blankets hanging from the ceiling, creating, there's only one big room. They created like several small bedrooms. Instead of three people living there, there's like eight. And it's just a madhouse down there. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I thought you guys would be great Christians in the sense that you take care of refugees better than most Christians, horrible Christians in that everything else about your life. But anyway, we kicked them out. They stopped paying. We said, well, this is, a, this is the end of it. It was over. And there was a mess to clean up. Luckily, we had people from the church who blessed us and went over and fixed all that junk. Here, here's what I'm saying. That was still a less than 10-year-old house. But a few months of some nasty football players living in there, and the whole thing was spoiled. You're going to lose thousands trying to sell that thing if it looked like that. That's what your life looks like in Christ. If you say, I'm going to let some of the stuff I've been doing in the past slide, you're trashing the house. And it can be brand new in Christ, but you're going to lose credibility with everyone you try to minister to if they know you live one way here and another way here. What do you need to get rid of? What junk do you need to get out of the house? Verse 2 says, A wise person chooses the right road. A fool takes the wrong one. So, the big idea, two completely different paths. It looks different to be a fool compared to a wise man. It's two different roads. You ever been driving with someone um, who was kind of one of those know-it-all drivers? Like, even if you're in an area that you didn't even know, they knew about it, and they knew what roads to take. Or, or you were going to someone's house, and the person who owned the house lived there said, take this road, and then get off at this exit, and then shoot over here. And once you see this, go over there. And, and, and then the driver says, okay, 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 okay. And then rolls up the window and says, yeah, I think I'm going to take this other road. And you're like, oh, no. You ever been with anyone like that who just kind of knew everything about every road, even though they'd never been on most of them? You don't ever look at that guy and say, you know what? I bet because you're just so wise and experienced and perfect and wise that you should just ignore the GPS and, and you should ignore the owner's instructions to get to their house. And just whatever shortcut you want to take, probably going to be good because you just know everything about life. No one looks at that person and says that do that. No, they look at him and say, don't do (laughs) whatever you're thinking you should do. Don't take the shortcut. Don't go there. Just listen to the owner's instructions and go where you're supposed to go. Well, that's like us. How many of us right now know what God's word says? We know what we should be doing in a situation. We don't need to ask 10 more friends. We don't need to pray until the Holy Spirit reveals it because he's been revealing it through his word our whole lives. And we're saying, I know what the right road is, but I'm just doing something different. I've got a plan for myself, and it's different than what I feel like God's saying. And you've been ignoring him, ignoring him, ignoring him. Solomon's saying, don't, don't. Verse 3 says, you can identify fools just by the way they walk down the street. This isn't about outward appearance. Remember, God doesn't judge outward appearance. He judges the heart. He knows the heart. There's a big difference for us as Christians between judging and discerning. Some say you can't judge anyone. The Bible tells you not to judge, but it tells you in some cases judge. Because there's a big difference between judging and condemning someone's soul to hell and discerning whether you should get entangled with them. Whole different ballgame. You say, you can't judge anyone. Well, wait until you have a daughter who's 17 and an 18-year-old comes by the house and says, I'm picking her up for a date. All of a sudden, that judge thing just went out the rule. Oh, you're going you're gonna to discern whether your daughter should be going on a date with this guy. And here's the thing. 
when it comes to fools, some of them sneak into your life like, like little ninjas. And you, you don't see them coming. And you realize, wow, we dated for three months and they might as well have been an actor on a stage reading a script because they were living a double life. I did not realize they were who they were. And that just snuck up on me. I let them in. I shouldn't have let them in. But then what Solomon's saying is, but then sometimes it, there's people who are easier to see from a distance that you shouldn't get entangled with them. If, you, if, if everyone around you is saying, he looks like a loser, don't date him. If the guy who looks a little shady financially, don't, don't let him in to be your roommate. You're going to have money issues with him. The landlord who doesn't look like he takes good care of stuff probably won't take good care of stuff when you rent from him. When you see foolish behavior from a distance, Solomon's saying, you can recognize it. In verse 4, he says, If your boss is angry at you, don't quit. A quiet spirit can overcome even great mistakes. Do you need to change your course here? Okay, how many of you have thought about quitting your job in the last year? Any of you? Some of you might work for each other, so that would be awkward. A couple of you would? A couple of you? How many of you have thought about quitting your job in like the last week? Only me. Okay, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Here's the deal. We all know if you work anywhere for any length of time, employees and employers will not always get along perfect. Sometimes it's just going to go bad. Sometimes you're going to be frustrated. They're not going to appreciate you if you're the employee, and they're going to have a bad day, and they're going to take it out on you, and there's going to be times of strife. Solomon's saying, here's the big idea. Wise people, they have the Holy Spirit in them, right? They've got the Word of God guiding them. And so Spirit-led and Word-fed, they live differently, and they don't, just do, uh, they don't just let their emotions rule them. They don't make rash decisions that they're going to regret. They, they are temperate, and their highs aren't so high, and their lows aren't so low. They live in a place where they can enjoy life, and they can walk through sorrow, but they don't just run around making crazy decisions anytime they feel like making a crazy decision. They calm down. They take a deep breath. They let the Word feed them and the Spirit lead them, and they make healthy decisions in life. Let me ask you, are you losing credibility with people because your emotions are ruling over you? And they look at you and they know, gosh, I know you're, you're maturing, you're growing, but you let your emotions, your ups and downs, just dictate every part of you. Part of maturity isn't that you don't feel feelings anymore, but it's that you become self-controlled. The Spirit helps in that. Proverbs 26, verse 20 says that words, words are like logs and conflict is like fire. And in Proverbs 26, 20, it says, don't, don't gossip. <laughs> don't stoke the fire. Let me ask you, especially if you're ticked off at work right now, what do you need to stop talking about? Sometimes talking about things with coworkers. Eh, we're not happy with what they're doing here. We're not happy with how things are changing with the boss. We're not happy with our situation. Sometimes you need to address things. Other times we just talk in circles and we're just stoking a flame that is bad. And Solomon's saying sometimes you just need to be quiet because your words 
are just logs stoking the fire of conflict. You guys having fun yet? No matter where you are, you're going to change your course. Ask yourself, what's the wise thing to do? Let the Spirit lead you. Last but not least, got a few minutes. One last point, verses 5 through 7. There is another evil that I have seen under the sun. Kings and rulers make a grave mistake when they give great authority to foolish people and low positions to people of proven worth. I have seen, I have even seen servants riding horseback like princes and princes walking like servants. Last but not least, you got to change your perspective. I'm going to go from winning in the world to walking in wisdom. You've got to change your perspective. You see, this world doesn't do things well all the time. I know you know that by now. Solomon's saying it's upside down. Sometimes wise people are dishonored, and they're not in positions of authority, and they should be because they're the ones who can make good decisions. And other times there's fools who are leading households and companies and nations. They shouldn't be making decisions, but they are. How in the world is that happening? And Solomon's saying it's been happening for 3,000 plus years. But here's the beauty, and God tells us that the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. It's the opposite of this, where the arrogant and the haughty and the proud, they will be humbled. And in the kingdom of God, the lowly and the oppressed and those who seek God and love God and and are at the bottom of the totem pole on earth, they will be exalted. They'll be exalted. This is Philippians chapter 2. Where Jesus, Paul says, have this mind among yourselves in verse 5, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. This is him becoming a human By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." an upside-down kingdom, and Jesus is the king of this kingdom. He was the humble, he was the lowly, and he reigns everything. And here's the bottom line. For us, to take Solomon's advice, we've got to recognize this might be the way the world works, but if you on earth want wisdom, don't just turn to the people who are rich. Don't just turn to the people who are ruling, to the people who are in positions of authority. Because sometimes, just because they look like they should be wise, doesn't mean they're wise. And some of the people in your life that might speak the most godly truth into your life and give you the most godly wisdom are going to be people who absolutely do not fit the bill. They don't look like it. But this is 1 Corinthians 1, that God chose the lowly. He chose those of not of noble birth. This is why I'm preaching to you all tonight. But because I was born into a good family that was saying, hey, he's going to be doing something worthwhile in life. No, we're all lowly. We're all 
people who don't look like we should be making an impact. And God says, that's who I choose because people will know it's me working in them. But again, this is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus came and he humbled himself. Here's what we're learning as we wrap up tonight. Wisdom, we've talked a lot about wisdom. All these chapters are different ways of ultimately saying the same thing. Wisdom is not, listen to me, wisdom is not necessarily intellect. There are a whole bunch of people with high IQs who are fools. Wisdom is not necessarily education. There's a whole bunch of people who have more degrees than Fahrenheit, but they're fools. Wisdom is not necessarily knowledge. This is why pastors have moral failures. It's not because they didn't know what to do. It's because they didn't do what they knew they should be doing. You can know something and not do it. Wisdom is knowledge, but more than knowledge. It's doing what you know is right. Wisdom isn't necessarily experience. There's a whole bunch of really experienced old fools out there. But here's what wisdom is for a very functional definition for you as we head out tonight. Wisdom is knowing God, loving God, and obeying God. It's a combination of your head gelling with your heart, translating to your hands. That you know Jesus is Lord, you love the Lord, and you actually do what he says. Because you can say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to know about God, but I'm not going to love him. But I'm going to do what he says. Well, you're missing the heartbeat of Christianity. He's a father and you're his children. He loves you. You've got to love him. You can say, well, I, I don't know him, but I'm going to love God and I'm going to do what he says. Well, what God are you following? Or you could say, you know what, I know him and I love him, I just don't do what he says. You don't really love him. And you know it. If you want, um, and I'll leave us with this. If you want to be wise, don't just look to Solomon, look to Jesus. Jesus lived a a perfectly wise life because he is ultimately the wisest there is. And he had three things. And all three of these can be incredibly hopeful to you. He had, number one, the word of God. The Bible says he is the word of God. But he knew God's word, so he had a word-fed life. Number two, he had the spirit of God. He was empowered by the spirit. The Bible says the spirit of wisdom. The Holy Spirit is a counselor, a teacher, spirit of wisdom. And you can have that too. And then number three, he was perfect because he is God. You say, well, how does that help me? Well, number one, you can have <laughs> you can have the word of God. Number two, you can have the spirit of God. And number three, even though you're not perfect, he still is God. And you rest in the cross and the finished work of Jesus, knowing that you want not to win or lose in life, but you realize gaining wisdom so that you can follow Jesus with all of your head, heart, and hands is what it's all about. There's a lot of ways to live. And Solomon's saying, stop worrying about whether life has turned out the way that you want it to. 
Stop worrying about winning based on what your parents or society tells you winning looks like. Win according to God's definition of winning. And that's bowing a knee to Jesus and giving your life wholly to him. That's wisdom. Let me pray for you all as we head out tonight.